This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, and even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy Media Explode number 38, Oppenheimer and the Summer Mailbag.
Welcome to iFanboy Media Explode, episode 38. We're talking about Oppenheimer and the summer mailbag. My name is Connor Kilpatrick. I'm here with Josh Flanagan. Josh Flanagan. Yes. And Ron Richards. I'm sorry. I came here for the Barbie discussion. I'm ready to do it if you I want. I know. I need to see it. I didn't. I didn't. I did. I did not see it yet because I was working Comic Con. But uh, I will see it possibly this coming weekend. This is the show unlocked by the patrons at Patreon.com/slash/iFanboy. Thanks for being a patron. If you are one, uh, if you're considering being a patron, check it out. There's lots of fun things you get to involve yourself with. So, spoilers. There's going to be some big spoilers in this episode. We're going to review Oppenheimer, and it's probably going to be hard to not spoil it. They dropped the bomb. Literally, they dropped the bomb. That's just halfway through the movie. That is, <laughs> that's not even the point. I know. <laughs> so, be cautious if you haven't seen it yet. It actually is worth seeing free of spoilers. Yeah, and the thing is, is that I do believe, and I don't know if you guys agree with me or not, but I do, I'm living in a post-spoiler world where, like, I could tell we could tell you what Oppenheimer is all about, why it's great, but like it doesn't, it shouldn't change how you experience it. Like, there's no big uh, M Night Shyamalan twist that will be. It's like, and it's like, what is it about? You know, right. like, like what is the actual point of the story? And I think, what's that's the point of any watching. of this? That's what I want to know. I go in as much spoiler free as possible. I didn't see a Fair. Barbie trailer when I went to see Barbie. I didn't. Like, I just. I tried not to. I do the same. Like I'm trying to avoid all that sort of stuff. But I'm just saying, like this discussion can be done. And you, if you haven't seen the movie, sure. I think you, it won't. It won't ruin your uh, enjoyment of the film because the, the film is more for me. It felt like an experience. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. So yeah, let's do the show. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> all right. So. We like to start the show off with what we've been enjoying since we last spoke, and I'll do it mine real quick. In addition to listening to The Set, the podcast that Josh talked about in the last episode, which has been excellent. Excited to have Minx back on TV. Minx was the HBO Max slash Max show that was canceled. Stars rescued it. Season two began this past week. Is it any good? It's the one about porn, right? It's very good. Yeah. It's very, very it's good. With, what's, his, it's, what's, what's his face who I like from New Girl? Jake right? Johnson. Yep. And then uh, the woman who's the lead is a, is a British actress whose name I don't know off the top of my head, but she's very good. It's a very good show. 30-minute show about the porn industry in the 1970s. Ooh, is it a 30-minuter? Yeah. Oh, sign me up. Me and my wife were just saying tonight before – because we had, we, had, we had less than an hour before we were recording. And she's like, oh, we don't have any 30-minute shows. And I have Minx in my to-watch list season one. And now that it's 30 minutes, I think I can – But slot, do you have stars? I, I can find a slot in. in uh, yeah, I got, I got it all, Connor. I got okay. it all. The best part about that interchange – was that uh, Connor goes, it's a 30-minute show about the porn industry. And Ron goes, ooh, 30 minutes. (laughs) Which reminds me, specifically in iFanboy history, if you're around, uh, we went to Jim Hanley's universe to record the Madrox team. And he goes through and he meets uh, Peter David and whoever the hell the artist was and whatever. gets to Corey Pettit. He's like, ooh, I love your work. And Peter David called it out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hey. I was I was early on the letter appreciation bandwagon. By the way, you're no Augie. Let's get yeah. on with the show. By the way, if you it's are uh, able to help Peter Davidson in big trouble and such, go to check out his GoFundMe yeah. page. Yeah. Um, he's had a lot of health problems and they're getting worse. But the show I wanted to talk about is uh, the return of Justified, Justified City Primeval. Josh, have you been watching this at all? I haven't started it yet. I'm aware of it. It's just I'm not going to spoil it. I was, I think we're three episodes in the first night. They dropped two for some reason because it's only eight episodes. Mm. But I think we're three in at this point. You know, I talked to the previous episode about rewatching Justify from the beginning for the first time since it was on TV originally. So it was very much in my mind when we started this. And it's really fun, but really weird is my review of it. And which is kind of like how all these shows that come back are, right? The reason why it's weird, this does not mean to not watch it, Josh. You will enjoy it. I'm not going to not watch it. He is still the smoothest, coolest cop on TV, right? Mm-hmm. But 
City Primeval was a book that Elmore Leonard wrote featuring a different cop lead. In fact, that character makes a cameo appearance. Mm-hmm. And they just took him out and swapped in Raylan Givens. It feels like a standard cop show that Raylan Givens happens to be in, if that makes right. sense. And I think one of the things that made Justified special was the setting where the characters in Harlan County was Boyd Crowder. You know, it, it was funny. It was weird, and it had a very specific tone to it. That is, this is more like a regular cop show that this guy in a cowboy hat's also in. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean it's not worth watching. It's just a very different yeah. kind of show. I'm excited for it. I think that the thing and was his real that... daughter plays his daughter in this. Oh, no kidding! Now the confusing thing about it is the timeline because he had the daughter at the end of the last season, and now she's like 14. I was going to say well, that ended in. It 14, ended less than 14 15? years ago. So he's, yes. he's the character's older than the actor is. And he's sort of shockingly looking old because all of his hair is white now and his beard is white. He turned the corner, but he did it well. Oh, he's very, very handsome still. But it's just a very different Raylan. You know, he's not banging everything that moves now. Mm-hmm. Um, well, or everything, everything that moves is not trying to bang him, let's admit, put it that way. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the original creator of the show isn't behind it. But the two guys who created the show were, were writers on it. Graham Yost. Yeah, Graham Yost is not involved, but Michael Dinner is the guy who's running it, and he was okay. one of the guys behind the original show. He did Battlestar Galactica, I think, along yeah, with... Yeah, and a bunch of the... I looked at the directed. the writer's list. A bunch of the writers are all from the original show, so it's not like it's totally foreign. It's just sure. a different vibe. It takes place in Chicago. I'm sorry, it was shot in Chicago. It takes place in Detroit instead of, obviously, the South, so it's, it's a very different feel. Oh, but Detroit was the other mob they were dealing with. Right, which is not... Dixie Mafia issue. went up to Detroit. Anyway. Yeah. The other thing is, is the minor quibble. I know that, I know in the modern TV world, we don't have opening credits anymore, but that opening of Justified really sort of set the tone for every episode. And they do the thing here with all modern shows too, except for HBO shows where they just do like title card. And that's mm-hmm. it. It's like, oh man. Anyway, eh. that's what I've been enjoying. I was going to talk about how much uh, I finally started watching Strange New Worlds on Paramount Plus of Star Trek and how fantastic it is, but I'm going to save that until I'm all caught up on the second season, but a little tease. Uh, But I accidentally, uh, sometimes life chooses for you, and I I fell down a bit of a rabbit hole. Accidentally? Accidentally. I saw, I got a promo for a new series on Peacock called Myth of the Zodiac Killer. Long time, my fanboy listeners probably know that we, we love the Zodiac Killer. I mean, we don't love it. I mean, I mean yeah, let's let's yeah. phrase that differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to. I, I, I want to channel Brian Cox's Martin Belli and do. Do you need some help, son? <laughs> no, but so I, fascinated by the whole Zodiac uh, mythos by the killing mystery. Fascinated by it. Love the Fincher than... movie. Read the books. Oftentimes, Connor, myself, our friend Hank, I will. I will. We will devolve into Zodiac conversations out yes. of nowhere. Like it's just very, you know, very interesting, very fascinating. To be fair, I think I mostly just really liked that movie. Yes, yes, yeah. No, you are not as you don't not, have, Ron and I have more of a, a fascination with the actual mm-hmm. uh, the actual crime. I just I just crime. haven't done the research yeah. is the thing. Um yeah, exactly. We can you help know, you with that. Not yeah, good. We can. There's a couple of websites I can send you, some forums. But actually I'll get to that. But so I started watching Myth of the Zodiac Killer on Peacock. I'm like, oh, I'll check this out. It's like it's a, it's supposed to be a new take on it. And uh this show is batshit crazy. Um, because it was uh two episodes. Mm-hmm. Not like a, a long special or like a six episode series. It was just two episodes. And it was about this literature professor who believes that the Zodiac is a myth and a hoax. What? And that none of the murders are related. And that there was a handful of murders in the Bay Area. And some enterprising person decided to write a letter to the paper claiming it. And then once that happened, that skewed every investigation since. 
How does he explain the one of the letters having the, the blood and the piece of, of the shirt that was from one of the well, victims? Well, it, it, he doesn't. That, that's the long story short is that he doesn't. They don't get that far. They basically said it doesn't it doesn't say that the person who sent that letter didn't kill Paul Stein, the cab driver. But he, he his theory is that that person who wrote that letter with the bloodstained shirt did not kill the people at Lake Berryessa or up in Vallejo, etc., I mean, it's possible. Sure. It's possible. Sure. It's possible. And like, and they, they spent a lot of time in the first episode looking at the early murders and like identifying, like, let's look at the victims. Did they have any, any enemies? Was there any spurned lovers? We're like, Oh, could, could it have been this guy? And like lay out a bunch of stuff that makes you ask the questions, but then it gets to the second episode and it turns a corner and just goes down crazy town. <laughs> so it, it was very amusing to watch. So, so, uh, if you want to watch that, but then I, then I got the bug. And so then I, I, I dug a little deeper and found a series on Hulu called the most dangerous animal of all. And this was a four episode series. I think that ran on FX and then is up on Hulu came out in 2020. And it's about a gentleman who published a book in 2015, theorizing that his uh, father who abandoned him when he was an infant was in fact, the Zodiac killer. Mm-hmm. And what this series did was it tells this guy's story about how he was put, you know, orphaned by his parents. Uh, his mother was 15. His father was 27 at the time. And they just left him on a on a, a stairwell in New Orleans and abandoned him. And he lived his whole life. And then he got reunited with his mother and she lived in the Bay Area. And slowly he started finding out things about his father and saw a special about the Zodiac and saw that the sketch looked just like the photo of his father. So started looking into it. And came up with all these compelling reasons as to why his father was the Zodiac killer. And the show channels that and they go with him as he writes the book and he finds a, 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 fic, a crime writer to co-write the book with him. And they put the book out and it's a success. And then they tear him down <laughs> on the show. They tear him down. Oh, it, it, one one episode ends with the book comes out and the entire online community of Zodiac killer interest all tear him apart on the uh, on the message boards and he goes on the message boards and responds oh it is not pretty it is not pretty and they show it on the tv show and then the whole last episode of the tv show is they one by one debunk all of his theories and turn the writer that co-wrote the book on uh, with them on him and like basically discredit the entire story it's what was the guy's funny. name or the book Oh, uh, what was the book is called? Where is it? Let me find the guy's name. It was such a roller coaster of emotion because at one point you think that this guy figured it out. And, oh my God, it is his dad and all this sort of stuff. And then you slowly realize that this guy is trying to shoehorn it in to give his life some sense of meaning. Yes. You know, basically in what he, in his words is that he wanted to prove to his son that they don't, you know, that, that, that they are not. You know, if they're the children of Zodiac, they're not bad people or whatever. It was just very convoluted, and actually, at the end of the at the end of the day, really sad. Um, the guy's name was Gary L. Stewart. Mm. That's his name. I think the name of his book might be the most dangerous animal of all. Oh, maybe. It's hard with all these true crime. Not even the, the the recent trend of popularity, but so many people are so invested in whatever their pet theory is that no matter what comes out, people will tear it apart because it's not reinforcing yep. what they have decided it is so exactly so yeah so the, the book is also called most dangerous animal of all searching for my father and finding the zodiac killer oh boy <laughs> this is it's a doozy let me tell you it's a it's like it's worth watching just to see the whole roller coaster and what was so funny was that i made it like halfway through and i started googling and found all these articles that were like his dad's name was Van Best. That's the, his name was V-A-N-B-E-S-T. That was the, his dad's name. Mm. And there were so many articles that were like, no, Van Best wasn't a Zodiac killer. <laughs> and like explaining why. <laughs> just... 
Oh boy. Fun times. Over on the ever popular Apple TV Plus, a new series was released called Hijack. It's a uh, it's a British show. It's a series or a film? It's a series. It's, I, it's probably a mini series, but uh, Idris Elba anchors the show. In the beginning, he gets on a plane in, let's say, Dubai. Maybe not. The plane is hijacked by some British folks. And basically, he, he like his thing is that he is a uh, high-end negotiator. Like uh, for corporate, you know, super mega corporate corporations and, you know, high stakes, whatever. The showrunners are Connor. What's the French show that's very popular on? Oh, on Netflix. You made it leave my brain. Yeah, I know. So one of the showrunners is from that show. And and I I didn't know the other shows, but it's like one of those, you know, British crime shows or whatever. And at first the show is it's almost the pen. Yeah, there you go. And criminal. The other person's from criminal. It's almost goofy. Just for like a little bit, because it really is like, here's this kind of person, and here's this kind of person, and there's suspicion, and everybody's looking around, and then a lot of talk, and the threat of violence, but are the guns really loaded? The episodes end every single time on a massive cliffhanger when you're like, no! Comes out weekly, you know, like an hour-long show. It's extremely compelling, and it's it's really fun. Because you kind of don't know where... Idris Elba's character is kind of neutral. Basically, like, his thing is that he just wants the plane to land and he's willing to do whatever it is to get that to save the people but you're not you're just not quite sure about anything and it's really it's really it's really cool and that made me go i don't think i finished luther mm. which was the really extreme british crime drama starring also uh, idris elba you know right after him being stringer bell is kind of my favorite thing he's ever done so i got a subscription to britbox so i could watch the rest of the way through it and it turns out like that i had I'd missed. I thought I'd only missed the last two seasons, but I didn't watch the third season. And then there's the movie. Yeah, well, that's that was one of the things that prompted like the movie's here. Oh, okay, I, I mean, like I read a Luther novel at one point, and I can't decide. I was like, if this was American, I would think this was terrible. Like, I feel like it would be just like bad genre TV. Like, it'd be the same as Law and Order, but because it's in Britain, it seems cooler. I don't really know. It is super goofy, and I was reading like reviews of the seasons, and and like they're like, oh, this is so bad, and whatever. I was like, I don't notice it. It got worse with every season, that's for sure. Maybe, but it's still really enjoyable. I kind of don't care. I don't even you know. I watched if it's them all, but bad. the first season was really, really good, and then it yes. was like it went downhill after that. Yes, but every time Ruth Wilson shows up. I was like, she's awesome in this. But either way, I'm really enjoying it. For whatever, Idris Elba is, is super compelling. Well, he's very charismatic. Yes, but kind of by being almost blank. Like, he kind of always does the same thing, but he gets away with it. I was actually watching one today, and I was, I was why he leans forward, and he kind of cocks his head. And I was like, he's just doing George Clooney. <laughs> That's what he is. <laughs> he's, he's a George Clooney type. And I, I think he is. With a different type of charm, but. You can sort of plug him into anything, and and he can become the center of that thing. But uh, those are those are my two current Idris Elba shows that I'm enjoying. One of them current, one of them not. All right. So initially, originally from last month, you may recall we planned to do this whole episode about the mailbag, but then it turned out we all three saw Oppenheimer opening weekend, which is unusual for the three of us to all see a film opening weekend. For various yeah. reasons. For, fortuitous. Fortuitous. We were actually supposed to record a week ago, but I had strep That's throat. True. And Connor graciously said, let's wait a week. And luckily we did because we all saw Oppenheimer. And so I was the only one that did Barbieheimer or Heimer, Barbieheimer, Barbie, whatever. I saw them both. And you know what? It was the most fun day at the movies ever because the That's theater was saying. packed. I've never seen that theater more crowded in my life. They weren't prepared for it. They didn't have enough staff for sure. 
but I saw a 10.30 in the morning Oppenheimer, which was sold out, and I saw a 3.30 afternoon Barbie, which was sold out, and seeing them in sold-out shows with crowds who were super into it was I was going to say, like, a fun. full theater is not an enticement to me, but Los Angeles is different than everywhere else, I recognize. I mean, honestly, looking at the box office numbers on the weekend, I mean, like, this is not only pre-pandemic mm-hmm. levels, but, like, 2019, like, Avengers Endgame yeah. levels, kind of, like, people going to the movie theaters and stuff like that, and just, like, it was relieving to see, you know, like, I, like I, had to, I had to, like, struggle to find a seat, like, that I haven't had to worry about that in ages, which is, like, on one hand, it's been so nice, because... Wait, like, you, you didn't have empty, a reserved empty, seat? No, I did, but, like, there wasn't... I, I wanted a good right, seat, right, 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 right. I was looking I, in theaters, I, I right, and, like, it, yeah... And so on one hand, it's been so nice to, you know, not have to worry about being able to get a good seat. But I was like, oh, wow, this is great to see a, a big movie in a theater that's full, you know, that's full. Like, that's, yeah, that's I have awesome. to say, especially for Barbie, which is a different kind of experience, seeing it in a theater full yeah. of mostly women was incredibly uh, fun. So anyway, it was just it was really nice to be if if in for one moment back in the pre-pandemic movie days of yeah. theaters on a Can Saturday. I- can I just again before we, what started where where I was uh, is that we walked in we saw it on Sunday afternoon and there's a lady standing there with a baby little baby it was tucked in her neck or whatever and, and my wife looks at me she goes oh I missed that part and I go what's that fucking baby doing here <laughs> right, <that's laughs> again, like the first thing I was like that's not okay and I thought well whatever that fucking baby and that lady sat in our row with two other small kids three years old at Oppenheimer yes. Oh my god! And I was like, and I was like, I was livid. You live in a savage land, though. Well, I was livid because did the kids stay quiet? At first of all, it, well, I just because it was like three little kids, and I was like, first of all, that's wrong. Yeah, for like eight over. other reasons. Yeah, yeah. B, I don't. Maybe they're amazing kids. I don't know. You know, maybe that's just you know they're super genius kids and they'll be quiet or whatever. And and then the movie starts and it was so loud that I was like, well, I'm not gonna be able to hear them. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, but they're going to be fucking traumatized forever. Yeah. And then at one point, the lady, I, I didn't see her leave, but she walks up and she stands at the edge of the row right next to us with the baby who's not happy, not crying, but she, so I can hear her whispering. Yeah. yeah. And I was just like, you can't say something to somebody with a baby. There's no way that they don't respond defensively. Right. You, yeah. you just have to. And I, and I was so like, I was like, we got somebody to watch our kids. What she should have said day. was, sounds like that baby needs a cigarette. <laughs> That's a good line. I, I'll, give, I'll give you. Uh, she stood there for a little while, and Lindsay next to me is just like, "I think I'm, I'm going to have to say something." And then she left, and then it was over. Like it was, but it was just. I was like, "Come on!" Because I have a really hard time with that. I'm like, "We're we've all made a decision to be here at the theater yes. for this thing," yeah. and 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 also yeah. like, I haven't been this excited to be at a movie theater for a film in a very long time. This was my most anticipated movie of the year. I by was far. all in by yeah. far. Mm. Yeah. So, but it was fine. My Nolan fandom is complicated. I don't, I don't like all of his films. Some of them I've sure. disliked. I've just, I disliked the dark Knight rises. I didn't really like interstellar. I didn't really like tenant, but I loved Dunkirk. I loved, uh, inception. Uh, you didn't like inception. Inter- interstellar is like maybe a top 10, possibly top five movie. I love it. Yeah, I watch saying, it a lot. He makes a really interesting, yeah. com- complicated, yes. challenging film. So you have different, reactions to them and i love three of his films i just like i like memento a lot so i mean i, I but i'm always excited because he makes movies he tries something with every mm-hmm. film he's trying yeah. something he's not yeah. just making a movie to make a movie he's trying to do something new film wise he's shooting all on film like this whole movie was practical effects i really yeah. love that i'm always excited for a movie of his 
Where did you guys see it? So I saw it in 70 millimeter, not IMAX, just but 70 I millimeter. I saw it on fake IMAX. I saw it on fake IMAX XD, yeah. but I was not like, I felt not like the sound was awesome. Oh no, the sound. Well, the the, the sound. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah the, the whole the whole thing about it was like I, I told you guys after the movie. I felt like the guy in the Maxwell <laughs> tapes commercial <laughs> from the 80s with like you the, said the Maxwell hair before, backwards. and I thought you were just a typo, yeah. but it is Maxell. Maxell, sorry, Maxell. Right, Maxell. I thought he was the guy in the Maxwell coffee commercial. Yeah, yeah no, Maxwell House. <laughs> but yeah, no, the whole experience of this was—I uh, mean, like rumble, the rumbling mm-hmm. and the the feeling in the seat and all that sort of stuff. It, it was loud to the point of like, does it have to be this <laughs> loud? Oh, totally, like the shock wave of this. I mean, not really out of my seat. Figuratively. Yeah. The, again, like this was a film. Yeah. Like I was like they're using the and I, I I thought you know there's not a lot of times where I can say really truly this would have been much worse at home oh yeah yeah people keep asking me can i i'll just wait and i was yeah. like no 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 you need to see this in a full-on theater and like the thing the, the thing is is that like i didn't see an imax because i don't like imax but i don't think that this needed to be seen in imax like seeing a 70 was fantastic and like i want to talk to somebody who saw it in imax to see like well what was the point of it being an imax i'm pretty sure our buddy hank is seeing it in true imax in three weeks because that was as soon as he could get a ticket yeah. <laughs> LA County is completely sold out. Every seat in LA County is sold out for the next three weeks. Jeez, that's crazy. So this is obviously Oppenheimer's biography on J.I. Robert Oppenheimer based on the book American Prometheus. I was going to list the cast, but everyone is in the movie. All of the people. Every actor in the movie, you're like, oh, I know that that person. I know that person. Yeah. It, it was just yeah. like, I oh. mean, to, to, the point, to the point of even Scott Grimes is in this movie. <laughs> I, I, he didn't speak for like two hours. I didn't yeah, exactly. notice him, and then I, I looked at Lindsay. She goes, "You don't know who that is," and I was like, "It took me a second. And it's I was like, Grimes. "Oh, the context is always every." And right, like, so honestly, right away, first time out, I again, I, I hadn't seen anything. Robert Downey comes out, and I was like, "Holy shit!" And he's great in it. Oh, he's so great! Everyone he's in, in, in yeah. not not like Robert Downey Jr. I will be surprised if he doesn't get an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actor. There, there were so many great yes, performances yeah. in this. Though. I mean, like, Downey was amazing. It was fantastic. There were so many great performances in this. My whole thing about this movie, though, was like, okay, so three hours to the nose, right? To the mm-hmm. minute. It felt like it was like two and a half movies in this in this one movie. <laughs> See, I didn't have... Like, I didn't feel like it was long at all. No. No, I didn't feel like it was long either, but I, I was like, you definitely had, and it was the two main narratives. He's a complicated yeah. life. He's got the, everything yeah. leading up to the bomb and then everything after the bomb. And they're, they're, yeah. they're almost whole stories themselves. And how you reconcile those things, which is they say at the beginning where they say, yeah. well, how can light be particle and a wave? It can't be both, but it is. And yeah. that I was like, oh, that's the movie. That's the movie, yeah. I love the bla- the use of black and white yeah. and color and the the nonlinear kind of storytelling aspect of it of like the jumping from the, the like not really being sure of when the past to the present mm-hmm. m- might possibly be, but like but also it all making sense and building reveals on top yeah. of like very well written. Yeah, very Nolan well wrote written. and directed it himself. He doesn't get enough credit as a writer. Yeah, no, yeah, I I, I, I thought that too. The He's structure, a great director, but he doesn't get enough credit as a writer. Structure was really strong. Yeah. The layered reveals are just like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. It was very well constructed. Yeah. I forgot to tell you guys, I meant to say at the start of the discussion, but my grandfather's brother was part of the Manhattan Project. He was a scientist there. <laughs> and that's all I know. He never would talk about it. That's amazing. Well, I mean, if you like the Manhattan Project, there was a TV show. That was on, oh, it was like on oh, was, the CW. No, it wasn't even uh, that. It was something. It wasn't even that. It was, it was something, but it was really good. It was just called Manhattan. I think it was just called Manhattan. 
And um, 2014 was on for two seasons. You can watch it now for free on Tubi. And it was the guy, um, Connor, uh, Neil Gross from uh, The Good Wife. Rachel Brosnahan. Rachel Brosnahan. John Benjamin was the lead. The guy who was in Oppenheimer was in the show Manhattan. Christopher Denham, who played the uh, British person. I don't want to spoil it, but like the the guy with the glasses who worked on the ignition was he was in the Manhattan show. It's two years in Los Alamos about the Manhattan Project. It was fantastic. Really, really. There was one name. There was one face I couldn't put together, and it was the guy who was the professor at the very beginning. Josh Hartnett. No, not Josh Hartnett. The the his oh Kenneth his, pr- No, just let me get to it. Oppenheimer's professor at the beginning, very beginning, where he was he was going to poison oh, the, him. Oh, the guy who and got I was mad looking at him. At him I, like, I can't. And yeah. I said to Lindsay, and she we were driving back, and she's looking through. She's like, "Is this guy? No, no." And she shows it to me, and I was like, "That's him." And she goes, "He was in Master and Commander." I go, "Pullings." That's yeah. the only reason I knew he was. he was also Jarvis and Agent Carter and ah yeah. yeah. Oh, that yeah. guy, right. Yeah. James Darcy. Yeah. I mean, this, the casting on this was so amazing because like you kind of like you mentioned, numerous A-level Oscar winning, uh, you know, kind of performances. And then like Scott Grimes and the dude who plays Huey from the boys. Yeah. Jack Quaid. I didn't know that was Dennis Quaid's kid. <laughs> yeah, Jack Quaid and, and Alden Ehrenreich and Rami Malek shows up and doesn't speak. For, and I was like, is he just doing this? And then, and then, this? And then literally drops a bomb. L- drops a bomb. <laughs> it's like David Krumholtz is actually yeah. literally one of my favorite oh, actors. He's, a, he's oh, amazing. So good. He's so good. He can yep. do anything. But also like, you know, like Emily Blunt, who hasn't acted in a while, had a really interesting and layered and difficult character. And she was terrific. Yep. Florence Pugh is a smaller role, but she, her character is really interesting and dark. And I thought that one of the mo- things this movie did really well was show how complicated and unfair the atmosphere was around communism. Oh my God. As it starts in the thirties, there are allies in the forties. So all these people are fine with being communists. And then in the fifties, they're like, well, weren't you a communist? Well, yeah, they were our allies. And it's just like all of these people's lives are destroyed. Mm -hmm. I thought that oppressive nature was done really well. I was trying to think about it in, in terms because there were two red scares, right? There was the red, there was the pre World yep. War II red scare of communism as a as a labor yes. movement, you it's know, and, and, movement, and all yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah. Then there was the second red scare of the fifties, which was you know you know the Cold War kind of fear and all that sort of stuff. And I was trying to, as I was watching this, I was trying to like resolve it in present day context, yeah. right? And in terms of like this idea of like you did something eighteen years ago that now we're holding you accountable right. for. Twitter. Right, yeah. which is yeah, yeah, no, I mean, like it was really, really kind of interesting to see that kind of echoing. It all hinges not on Oppenheimer, but on this vain, insecure man who yep. was slighted twice. Once it wasn't even a slight, but he thought it was, and decides then Perceived, to ruin yeah. Oppenheimer's life. And it was just like, oh man, it was just so frustrating. We also haven't really mentioned the fact we should is that Killian Murphy is terrific. I mean, no, no. Oh I mean, like, God. I'm like, he's he's got a real good chance at winning an Oscar, I think. And yeah. w- what I thought was, right, he's kind, so. he's kind so. of a former movie star. Like for a little while, he was leading movies, and then not so much. I was almost a character actor, did some TV shows, and now it's like he is. He's, I don't know if he was, was a movie I mean, star. I he was always that. like because I, mean, I don't know if he was. He was never a movie star. I feel like he was on the edges. It was like he was the lead in in uh, the Danny Boyle the zombie movie, and then he was in some movie with. Yeah, but that's a yeah. zombie movie. And then he was I'm in, saying he was edging he was towards the end of it. He was the male lead in yeah. several movies. It just never quite went over. And then like by the time he was Scarecrow in that first Batman, it was kind of over. Right. And then and then he gets lost in Peaky Blinders land for right. 10 so years. Th- right. And like, the point yeah, being yeah, like, yeah. so then out of nowhere, seemingly, he anchors this movie. It's not like he did all the work. Oh, yeah. 
on He's screen. Yeah. Every no, a hundred percent. I mean, I, I couldn't praise that performance enough. And, and just to go from, you know, I mean, he's been lead on, on that TV show or whatever, but like, that's a big job right here. And it just couldn't yeah. have done it better. What struck me about his portrayal of Oppenheimer in this film was going back to the storytelling method and the, and the, the, um, the, the writing, the, the time jumps from, you know, fifties back to thirties to forties and stuff like that. And even just the, the physical mm -hmm. nature of his yeah. hair or his mannerisms or like you, he felt older or he felt younger. Like it was like, it really, yeah. I, I don't think I've seen an actor transform into a role in the way that he did for this, you know, in a, in a his long level time. of confidence yep. changed through each of those things, but also that had an effect on his arrogance and then where his happiness was or, and, and it was very, and as you could just, you could read it by looking at him and looking at his body language, how he said yeah. words. Yeah. Great. And Matt Damon also should mention is terrific. Like everyone is yeah, great. great in the movie. Nothing about this movie dragged or didn't work. That's what I think is so mm -hmm. amazing about it. It, it. it was perfection on so many levels to the point of a three hour movie that I never once wondered what time it was. And I like how it changed tonally. Like you got the sort of war film and then you had the relationship drama. And then at one point it becomes like a horror movie when he's giving a speech and all the scientists mm -hmm. and support staff are like, rapturous in their applause and it's, it's shot like a yeah. like a crazy zombie situation it was the way he played with all the different tones was really great and then you know you knew it was coming but that final scene with einstein was terrific the guy who played einstein was terrific and it just lets all the air out of downey's character but you know it doesn't matter because in the future it's gonna it's the inside yeah. the inciting incident that fucks up oppenheimer's life it was just so good mm -hmm. yep it delivered a hundred percent i mean look to be fair there was a lot of young women who were dressed in pink at the movie, and I'm glad they went to see it. It's not the same as enjoyed it, but yes. I, it was funny. I was There was a Barbie photo op installation in the theater with the costumes, and I was standing next to it while I was waiting for my wife to come out of the bathroom. And I heard one of the girls, she's like, it was really challenging. <laughs> like, <laughs> it wasn't bad. It was just really, really challenging. I mean, which is not, not no, inaccurate. That's a fair yeah, assessment. That's a fair assessment. Yeah. I was really happy, you know. Memes are dumb. I hate these things. But whatever this thing did that boosted the people going to see it, I'm glad they did. Yeah. You know? Here, I'll complain about one tiny thing. Sure. When he walked out of Truman's office and Truman, like, talked yeah. shit about him, I don't think Truman would have done that. I thought Truman got a short shrift in the movie. I did he think did. that. Truman was much that. more. He, he, he also had to wrestle yeah. with all that as well. I know why they did it. They had to play him off against his, it was his the doubts, only thing where I was like, that doesn't play with the history that I know. I agree with you. When he walked out, I went, ah, about yeah. that, but it's fine. Yeah. It's whatever. But then it was like, yeah. oh, there's another Oscar winner in the movie. You know what? I got to say, Slow Horse is a little bit ruined Gary, uh, Gary, <laughs> for Gary Oldman. Gary, Gary Oldman. I was going to say Gary Busey. I was like, that's not it. Uh, Gary, like, I, cause I sat there, I was like, lamb. <laughs> I, I mean, like he's so encompassed that other character that it was, I think as he was the same level of pudgy. Yeah, every time yeah. somebody new showed up, I was like, oh, okay, let's bring this person in now. You know, he's famous for his, you know, crazy cast yes. and people who reuses a lot. And I thought Kenneth Branagh was really good as Niels Bohr. It's just like every time you turned around, it was another person who had won an Oscar in the movie in a small part. Yeah, it was just great. It was it was fantastic. Even down to the smoking. Well, that's why he died. He died of, of cancer from smoking. I mean, they all did. Right? But I thought yeah. also just practically wise, like the actual effects of the explosions, which they all did in like, you know, shot in miniature. It was just so visceral. And the way that they portrayed his thinking when they showed like the stars and the light happening, 
was was really great. Just as a storytelling piece, it was just so well made. Yeah. So at this point, best movie of the year? Yeah, so far. For me, easy. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not even close, but there's a lot left. I mean, it could be The Meg, too. It really gave away a lot in the trailer. (laughs) They did. But that makes me have to think that a lot of other people get eaten. (laughs) Don't make me talk about The Meg 2 trailer, because I will. (laughs) It was great. If you're still listening to this and you haven't seen it, and you're on the fence, like, go see it in a theater with good sound. With a good sound system. That's the most important. Even more than a great picture. Mm-hmm. I think is the sound is really important in the movie. Yeah, and you will yeah. not get that at home. You can't. You Even can't. with a good setup, you won't get it. I mean, maybe you could, but if you have kids, you don't have a chance. But also, you wouldn't watch it at that level. Right. Your chair, you could, you're not going to rattle out of your chair. Yeah, you, you know? wouldn't. Like, like right. you'll, if you try to watch it like that at home, you'll turn it down. Right. You just will. <laughs> this is a great movie-going experience, and I, I, I wish that on everyone. Go see it in the theater. See what we're talking about. See it on the as big of a screen as you get with a good sound system, and and just enjoy being at the movies. This is why we love yep. movies. All right, let's move on to the summer mailbag. It's July. We have a bunch of emails that we've had piling up. We also sent some in the last couple of weeks. So thank you for that. And we'll answer as many as we can in the next twenty minutes or so, however long we have. By the way, just to get, just to pull yeah. back the curtain a little, Connor puts together a little document for me and Josh here, like kind of like a little rundown of the show. I did not look at it until this moment, and I realized that he has not only included all your emails that you wrote into contact at ifanboy.com, but he's also conveniently categorized them above your email in our document. So it says category television, category film. Well, I thought so maybe Connor, if you were looking quickly for an email to answer and you <laughs> wanted to find a music one, you could you could do it that way. No, no, I think it's great. I just I, that little added touch of detail. It's I pre, I'm, I'm, pre, Everyone I'm appreciate have here. a Connor. Speaking of, they really should. We, we are very politics. lucky to have a Connor. Dan G from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania says the mention of Casper Weinberger and Ronald Reagan on a recent Pick of the Week episode. Ron, the show has gotten weird since you left. Well, I was going to say, why did you guys do? What are you doing, guys? Come made on. me think of the Americans, which we're currently in the middle of watching. As a fan of yes. quality television, I'm curious who is your favorite Matthew Reese character, Perry Mason or Philip Jennings from the Americans? Of course, I'm assuming you've all watched The Americans, so you have, and it's amazing if you did watch oh. it, but it's been a while. It's worth a rewatch. Wait, I'm sorry. I need to interrupt yeah. this email because it's not about The Americans, but Matthew Reese kind of reminds me, but the prosecuting attorney in the hearing in Oppenheimer, the whole movie, I was like, the very angry lawyer who yelled, I'm like, yeah. who is that guy? Jerry who West. is that guy? And it's Jerry, the, West, yeah. Jerry West from the winning <laughs> Jason, time. Jason Clark. <laughs> yeah, he's a great he's actor. He's been in all sorts yeah. of things, and he's always Jason Clark to me. But now he's Jerry yes. West. <laughs> oh, poor guy. Yeah. Never won. Yeah, that was great. That was great. He's Josh, got yes. Perry Mason or Philip so. Jennings? <sighs> Oof, it's really tough. Uh, I got to go with Philip Jennings, though. He had more time to develop as a character. It's just not, yes, it's almost not fair. Uh, the, I mean, the, the only other thing about it is that so so the Americans was my was my pandemic project with 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 my wife like like when it's it a lot started. Of yeah, we we it's did like the, seven seasons, twenty three episodes per season. Or something like that. I don't think it was that many, but um, because it was a FX show. But e- either way, we watched through the entire thing, and really, that is when I really fell for Matthew Reese. I mean, like if you were to say, Josh, who's your who's your favorite working actor right now? I would probably say it's Matthew Reese because because of the the Americans, which I think at times I think he made the show better than it was. And it was a good show. Don't get me wrong, but I'd watch him and he'd go through all of his. You'd see all of these emotions on his face, all of these conflicting things, little like Oppenheimer. And he's not like 
a super handsome leading man. He's just fascinating to watch. And he plays that inner life so, so well. And then to find out what he sounds like in real life put me <laughs> over the top. And to see what his personality is like in real yeah, life. Yeah, he's got this bubbly, jolly Welsh accent and 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 personality. And and then you find out like early on he marries, you know, his on screen wife, and they have like a family together. Him, he won an Emmy. She's terrific on the show. I don't want to. I don't want to discount yes. Carrie Russell at all. But but his character had the most interesting arc of the two, where he went back and forth on his commitment to the mission and yeah. over the course of this. I mean, he had the most interesting stuff to play with. She was much more hardline. But I have to go Philip Jennings as well, only because again he got six seasons to really mm-hmm. flesh the character out, and I loved Perry Mason. It's a very yeah. similar character, if we're being fair. Yeah, I mean, he also yeah. very similar to his character in the Mister Rogers movie. But yeah, that's hang his sweet spot. making Hangdog interesting. That's yeah. what he does. That's his sweet spot. Category: Film slash Television. Jason M writes in and says, "As viewers who probably like me have a huge backlog of movies and shows sitting in your queue on your various streamers, are you viewing the silver lining of the writer strike as a moment to finally gain some traction on conquering your mountain of media?" And Jason, I will answer your question: Yes. I said I, this is the writers and actors strike in terms of my viewing queue. I know I'm gonna we're gonna regret it down the road because we're gonna have a ton of reality shows and all this nonsense crap for in the next year or so, but. Uh, this is very akin to me of baseball um, in that the moment in, in May or June when I realized the Mets season wasn't going the way I wanted to, I went, well, that's a relief. That's a bunch of money I just <laughs> saved this year. So uh, in the same way with television, like, well, that's a relief. That's a bunch of stuff I'm not going to need to worry about watching. It's <laughs> so. tough because obviously, uh, you know, from a, from a reserve, yes, that's true. But it so affects everything in my life and affects a lot of Ron's professional life and it, yep. You know, I've got friends uh, sure, who are yeah. on the picket line. My all my neighbors in my little Melrose Place esque cul-de-sac here are all in the industry, and they're all being affected in various ways. So it's hard to be like cool because it's not great. Yeah, it sucks. But it sucks. Yeah, obviously, I'm, I've got less to watch that's coming out, so I can dive into stuff I've been meaning to watch. But I don't take joy in it because at the same time, it's like, oh, this is really bad for everybody, and it's hurting people I, I care about. So. To stuff. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is a double-edged sword. I'm no, no, no. I mean, you, you're you affected just as much as I am. We're, we're on the periphery yeah. of it. I'm in video games, and you're, yeah. you know, having to cover yeah. the stuff, and nothing to cover is tough uh, in different ways. But yep. I've certainly having affected me in, in in a little bit work-wise, but my friends are getting hurt by it, so it's tough. Yeah. Prepare for reality TV. That's what's oh, going to yeah. happen in the next year. That's, a, that's mean, what happened last time. It's not like there's so, not a, yeah. a back catalog. Like, I'm never going to... I, I think you guys care about what's coming out now more, probably more than I do in terms of wanting to get ahead of it. You watch the same stuff over and over again. I, well, I, I haven't. It's not been a criticism. Doing it that's what you tend to do. No, no, I, I haven't yeah. been doing that. It's been a while since I've done that. Yeah, uh, I, I was going to say that. Like, I remember. I would say it wouldn't affect me that much, but I do remember that lull as we were sort of coming out of the pandemic, and I think that it's you know it's mostly been happening with movies, and I didn't like it. Oh yeah, movies are going to get fucked again next year. There's going to be no movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like so I want another, to yeah, see yeah, stuff yeah, coming yeah. out. I feel like they're just getting their footing now. Um, the real question is what actually gets released because. Actors can't promote Are the films. They, they can't. Yeah. And I'm not going to run on the spot, but does Marvel re- even release the Marvels this year? Like, I don't. I don't know. Right, yeah, I can't. I couldn't yeah, even. So like, yeah, those yeah, are the yeah, questions. Like the movies that are being promoted now, do they even come out? I will say with no. I mean, with no inside information or anything like that, I, I think the Marvels. I, is th- I would think out. it does too. I, don't, I think it's probably beyond needing. needing we just released the trailer, but, like all that stuff. The, the the question now is what? Honestly, at least for movies, the question is what does next year look like? Right? Like I think everybody, everybody's going to be affected by that. Yeah. So 
it's a bummer. It's a bummer. And I hope it gets resolved quickly because like that way we won't lose that much of a, uh, of a beat. But, uh, there was a moment where I kind of went, huh? Oh, all right. Well, I don't have to, you know, there'll be a little less I need to worry about, but still. <laughs> Mateo A, who's patron, who's letting us know. And I really appreciate this, by the way. His patron power is the bus flinger. Is that me or you? I don't know. I'll give it uh, a rock. Give it anybody. No, I, I, I definitely know <laughs> it was relatively recent, I think. Have you ever watched any of the TV show Extraordinary on Hulu? And more importantly, are you going to sue the creator for stealing your idea about bestowing silly superpowers? I think you should. In case you haven't watched the show, here's the premise. Everybody has a stupid power, excluding the protagonist of the show. Examples of powers. One guy can rewind time, but only about 10 Uh, seconds. uh. Connor, call... Call I gotta make lawyer. a phone call. I gotta make yeah. a phone call. Do we know that this person isn't a listener, by the way? Like the person who wrote we the don't show? Know that. Right. Another guy can induce yeah. orgasms with a touch. Yeah, I can do that too. It's not. <laughs> I mean, that's not power. That's, that's, a skill. that's, like, that's just like that's every practice. day, dude. Come on. I learned that when I was 13. That's, uh, that's another, another can turn into a cat, but cannot control when to transform, etc. Yeah, I think we should sue this person. I think I think there's, I think there's a case. I think we need to look into this. I think we should need to stop talking about this. To be <laughs> I honest, know, I think we're, my lawyer is saying we need to cut this off. <laughs> Jack H from London, England. Two questions. One: What do you think of Russell T Davies? I remember you guys talking about a very British scandal a while back. But have you seen any of his other work, including Years and Years, which was great, but made me want to have a stiff drink with each episode? Or It's a Sin, which was heartbreaking. Also, with him jumping back onto Doctor Who uh, with Nakuti Katwa in November. Will Connor and Ron get on board? Will Josh start watching again? That's question one. No. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I watched a couple seasons. It turned out that I really liked David Tennant, not Doctor Who. I never saw anything beyond a very British scandal. I looked at his filmography and never seen anything. But I've heard his name before. Yeah, I mean, I just have no interest in Doctor Who. It's just something I'm no interest in. Yeah, I know. Interesting. I just and that's the thing. Like Doctor Who, Harry Potter, like all these. I just have no interest in. I'm yeah. sorry. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I, I know it's fine, and I'm sure they're good. Like I'm. This isn't like it is not a judgment on you the thing that the you British. like. I just have no interest. Mm-hmm. I know. I love the the irony is I love the British. <laughs> By the way, I I just finished watching uh, me and my wife watch the White Lotus uh-huh. season two, and the British guy from Palermo who was in in the Loop, I was like made me want to go watch in the Loop again. Like I was like, oh god, I forgot that guy's name, but he's fantastic. I will tell you this: Doctor Who fans, in my time, by the way, as a sort of person who does uh, geek stuff to a to a relative Tom Hollander. Oh, Tom he's Hollander, great. He's fantastic. Yeah. He's great. yeah. Uh, to a relatively you know large compared to most of your people on the internet, Doctor Who fans are the worst. Oh, Josh! No, they're <laughs> oh, the worst. Careful. They're worse than careful. Star Trek fans. They got angry at me because I really careful. didn't like the show. I didn't say it was bad. I just, but it was just they, like they oh, really gosh. want you to like it. That's what I mean by it. They will not accept the fact that you're not really that into I it. I watched a couple of episodes in the '80s when it would be on like PBS. That's the uh-huh. only memory I have of seeing it with the. Oh, that's it. The Baker guy, the big curly haired guy. He was when he Tom. was the, Tom, Tom Baker. Baker. He was the one I saw. Anyway, mm-hmm. the second question is after years of waiting, I finally saw Blur at Wembley a few weeks back. Nice. Which got me thinking about what reunion shows, reunions shows. I think he was drunk when he wrote this. Mean. You okay there? Are you okay, Connor? I'm reading what he wrote. Yes. Which got me thinking about reunion shows. Have any of you guys got any great memories of seeing a band reunite and kick ass on stage? Man, also, have you had a chance to listen to the new Blur album? That's like Ron's religion. I mean, honestly, it's, I mean, sadly, it's my interaction with music for the past 10 years is watching reunion shows. I mean, it was like at the time of this recording, I'm about to go. I'm going to Washington, D.C. this weekend to see uh, Lincoln. Oh, wow. Who I've never, wow, I never got to see. That's a, a big deal yeah, for exactly, you yeah. more than me. And, like, and like, that's the th- here's the thing, too, Josh. And I don't want, I don't want to say this out loud, but in ter- terms of like the better question is like what reunions would we want to mm-hmm. see? So there's there it's this two day festival in Washington, D.C. called Reunion Summer 
that is being put on by a bunch of people that worked at Discord and all stuff like that. And there's just a little part of me mm-hmm. in the back of my corner mm-hmm. of my mind, God, yep. oh, Josh, that's like, do you think I maybe know. they're going to play? Like Because <laughs> that's the only way it could happen. Exactly, exactly. So, so what he's referring to, for those of you out there, is, is the, I mean, my gr- I've never seen Fugazi. That would be like, what would you like to see is Fugazi? And I would like them to play mostly instead of chastising. But also, I'd like a little chastising. I'd be fine with that of the crowds. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Name one great reunion show you've seen. Just one. Oh, well, the best reunion. I'll give you two there. while he's thinking. One was Avail, um, a, a band that I guess Ron introduced me to years and years ago. And I'd listened, I've listened to them forever, but they stopped touring and uh, they came through right before the pandemic, September of 19, I think. And I got to see them and it was just joyous. It was so great. And they were, it wasn't like, like, I mean, Ron and I both see a lot of bands who were kind of big in the 90s and 80s, and they're not super famous. And you, you, we think, well, God, it could be kind of lame to watch these guys come back at 50, but it never is because they're still good at yeah. what that was made them good at things is now. It's not like watching, you know, the Rolling Stones prance around at 70 and you're like, oh, they shouldn't be doing this anymore. It's, it's much different than that. And also, if you like yeah, the Rolling I, Stones I was- and you're into them, then I have no problem with that. I would say that the three that come to mind, I mean, because they, they go back to the what Texas your personal good, favorites right? are, right? Well, I was just going to say one of them, one of them is seen every, every time Texas, the reason has come back, they reunited in 06 for the first time. Yeah, that was great. That and then they reunited again. Um, oh, geez. Now it's like a lo- lo- like long time, like 10 yeah. years ago. Uh, every time they came back was fantastic. That's up there. I was at the Revelation Records 25th anniversary weekend show in Pomona, California, when on the last night, Quicksand came out and played four mm-hmm. songs. And that was just like, for all right. of that was just like time stopping. That was fantastic. Um, I gotta say, this isn't necessarily a band reuniting, but when I was at the noise pop festival in San Francisco, oh geez, I forget what year it is. I have a t-shirt. It might've been 2010, but when Bob Mould and now the Bob Mould band, mm-hmm. John Worcester and Jason Arducci played the whole copper blue album from start to finish. Wow. That was another kind of like transcendent mm-hmm. moment to see, you know, to, you know, it wasn't necessarily sugar reuniting, but just him playing that material after so long, you know, it was, and they, yeah. Was they, and they play ma- that magical, stuff now so. too. I was going to, yeah, the last, yeah. the other, other one was Sunny Day real estate was my other white whale. And I got to see them this last fall. And it was, it was, it was so magical. Ron, is that who I saw? No, I no, no. You sure? The idea was that they hated each other. You didn't see Sunny. Did I think, I think you, you see did. Sunny Day Real Estate? I might have in the early two thousands. Yeah. I might have. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did. yeah, I think I did at, at yes. Irving Plaza. Yes. Well. Yep. Yep. I like that I've seen these bands ah, that saw makes Sunny, Josh, Josh, Josh angry. Josh I don't even remember. It's like, oh right. <laughs> yeah, that's happened a lot. Yeah, but that Sunny Day was a big deal for me. They were good. <laughs> did, wait, wait. Did the original bass player play when you guys saw them? I don't, no, I don't know. know. It was the it was the was it the Rising Tide? Well, he's in the Foo Fighters, so. He wasn't on the last yeah. one. No, okay. I don't think it was. So anyway, fine. Find a reason. Next email comes from Jason F. Also category music. I've been thinking about this question for 10 minutes ever since I once again hit next when Come Together came on. Ooh, what is your least favorite Beatles song? I'm thinking more of the stuff you hear on the radio or their popular songs. Otherwise, we all might agree that Revolution Number no. 9 tops the okay. list. Which go Well, go ahead. I want to. I want to. The uh, lot, lot. Right, no, so real there, quick, lot, I just want to. To me, I was wait, before you do that. Before you do that, I was literally thinking this the other day because the Sirius has a Beatles channel that is on heavy rotation in our car. Like my wife listens to it, and the number of times I disgustedly switch it to another channel because I don't like the song, and I was like, "Wow, I do that a lot." And I was thinking about our friends who do Star Wars Minute, and they did Alphabetical, which I never listened to, where they reviewed Beatles songs, and I was wondering if they 
judge the songs and determine what their least favorite was. So I was literally they, thinking they, about this they, question, Jason. At they the same rated at the yeah. end of every, and so like Pete yeah. famously hated a day in the life. Wow. Um, so wow. Oh, wow. what I would say is that the, the common wisdom is to be like, is to pick out all those weird songs and yeah, later on sound experiments. Stuff. And I don't, I, I don't mind those. Like I do, I don't like go to listen to them, but I don't like hate them. I had an answer for this immediately, and I happened to do this episode of Alphabetical just by chance, but it's uh, If You've Got Trouble, which is a Ringo song that was on the anthology. Oh, man. It's Don't pick so, on Ringo. I'm sorry, oh, but it's, it's, I, it's like this. I, I can see the other songs that made the main albums. You know, like I, They're not my favorites, but I get them, and I'll sing along. I hate If You've Got Trouble. Okay, okay. So that's not one that would fit his category of popular radio plays. Are there any popular radio plays that you don't like? There are none for me. I like all of them. I can't. You no, know, I can't. I, I can't think of some. Let's um, see. Uh, I'm going to look at most popular Beatles songs. It's like Hey Jude. I think is most popular. While we're doing that, I will. I will chastise Jason for hitting next one. Come together comes on because that's a great song. And also for hitting for saying Revolution Number no. Nine because Revolution Number no. Nine is a great song. Also, I will say that every time the Long and Winding Road comes on, I want to throw a brick through the radio. Wow. Oh, I cannot stand. And, I don't and like, feel like that about anything. Yeah. Uh, where I net out, honestly, is uh, in my older age, is a lot of the, a lot of the, I, uh, <laughs> to quote John Lennon from the Playboy interview, a lot of Paul McCartney's granny music drives me crazy. Okay. I understand what so. he's saying, but I don't, I still like it. Like yeah. I can be like, I, the part of me can understand even intellectually why it's goofy, right? But it doesn't matter because I'm, it's already inculcated in me. All right. Top 10 most streamed Beatles songs. Okay. I'll go from 10 to 10 to 1. Help, fucking magnificent. Something. That's incredibly classic. In my life, that's fine. Blackbird, twist and shout. Hey Jude, yesterday, let it be. Number two, come together. <laughs> and number one, here comes the sun. Oh, significantly oh, more streams at wow. eight hundred twenty-five million compared to come, come together, which has five hundred fifteen. And from that eight hundred twenty-five million, they got four dollars. George didn't care. He's in his garden. Paul McCartney's worst Beatles. No, no, no. Here Let's not. Oh, hang on, hang on. Hold me tight. I like that song. Which is on with the Beatles. Just can't rate the early right. ones like that. Yeah. Maxwell Silver Hammer, which I actually really like. So I bang, won't bang. agree with that. It's even, a weird though, song. even though it says John Lennon once criticized this tune, saying it was more of Paul's granny music, <laughs> but I do like it. He wasn't criticizing like the music. The, the... He was criticizing his feelings for Paul that were complicated at the time. No, he was criticizing oh, the he music. Wasn't. Did you read that it's interview? The same. I know he's literally doing an interview, but really, yeah. when you dive into yeah. what he's actually doing, is he's, he's working through yeah. his feelings about Paul. Mother Nature's Son. I like it. Great song. Great song. From the White Album. You don't have to tell us what it's from. We know. Obla D, Obla D. Single. Which, which, yeah. Rocky Raccoon. Yeah, love it. Fine. Like, I don't fine. love it, but it's like, fine. I'll listen fine. to it. Yeah. And tell me what you see from uh, from Help. Oh, and when I'm 64. Who hates when I'm 64? The sweet. Oh, this song. person, apparently. Yeah. Do they play that at weddings? I don't like when they play it at weddings. I don't like that, yeah. but that's not the song's fault. Yeah. All right. We could do this for hours, so yeah, let's let's move on. A little bit quick about this. Andrew from Colorado. In an episode at the beginning of May, you guys got off on a wonderful tangent about the Expanse book series and dropped a spoiler about the last three books. I had last been reading on book five, probably before the pandemic, and I hadn't wanted to restart the book or try to figure out what was going on, but your spoiler intrigued me. And I decided to start back at the beginning on audiobook, and I just finished the main series today. I'll probably loop back to all the novellas soon. Thanks for that. So my question is, what, if any, books, comics, TVs, or movies have ever drawn you in with spoilers? First of all, by the way, just real quick, the guy who narrates the Expanse books, I love that guy. And I see him in movies every once in a while, and, mm. I, and, I, and I like him even more because of it. He's wonderful. 
I just finished reading that novella book like a yeah. week ago. I don't know an answer to this question. I don't think I have. A, I don't think I have one. I, I remember, you know, when we were kids. The big one was the Crying Game, right? That was the one I think that the popularity that was, was huge by the spoiler. Yeah. Yep, it was yeah, huge. but that movie was disturbing. But I'm saying is that movie became a phenomenon because of the spoiler right. that got out into the world. I can't think of any because I tend to avoid them. Sharon Stone. <laughs> well, Basic instincts. I guess. Thing about it. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I guess. It goes back to, you know, what I said earlier about living in a post-spoiler kind of world where it doesn't really, you know what I mean? Like, See, I like, don't buy that. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. either. I mean, people spend a lot of time on the internet, I, maybe buy that more yeah. than we do. Yes. Yeah. We get it. You don't watch trailers. We understand. Right, right because I find more enjoyment <laughs> when I have the story unfold before me without knowing what's coming. Right. Masters of the Skies, the last, or is Masters of the Air, Josh? Air. Masters of the Air is the last of the Banner Brothers trilogy. Josh got me the book last year. It's been staring at me in the face, but I don't want to read it because I want to. I want the story to unfold on the show without knowing anything. I'm trying to think of something that I knew that happened that I wanted to watch, but even though I knew it happened. I mean, nonfiction is a different thing. I actually don't mind knowing the story of what happens in nonfiction. A lot of times I do. That one that you're talking about, Master of the Air, it's actually not a narrative in that sense. Oh, no, neither Band of Brothers wasn't a narrative either. It kind of, it isn't, but it kind of, because like David Webster has a lot of the stuff in there and it sort of tells what happens. I just bought but his book, by the way. I actually found Masters of the Air to be much more documentary type. Like this happened over here, and then this was the, what this place was like. Like, and also it was so detailed to such an extent, I literally couldn't tell you what fucking story they're going to tell out of it because it was so wide ranging. But I, I understand. Is there an answer? Do we have an answer? I don't have one. I really don't. I I, I don't. I can't think Run. of that. I can't think of one either. It's. A, I mean, it's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, it's. It's. It's like the the fact that the spoiler draws you in to see it. I think that is that is that is an interesting. Like maybe I mean recently maybe the menu. Like I I heard I I saw mm. the menu so late that I've had people tell me what happened and like what I knew what they was like coming, but I watched you. it unfold. No, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> All right, we got a voicemail. Hey Josh. Hey Ron. Hey Connor. It's Dave from Buffalo. You know the one. I found myself wondering, as the three of you barrel towards 50, what are some pieces of art, media, or entertainment that you love, which helped you to understand and appreciate the generations which came after you, contemporaneous emblematic things that help to clarify concepts, styles, or experiences of the newfangled kind that you might have previously found annoying or confounding? You can choose any medium, but they have to be things that you generally think are great and affecting and that you love. First of all, how dare you? How dare you? First off, I wanted I, I wanted to chastise the, the barreling yeah, towards you? 50 comment there. Sir. Yeah. Don't appreciate it, sir. Dave, Dave's been a long time listener. <laughs> He's a great writer. And uh, yeah, very good. It's a leading question. Let's be honest. Listen, the younger <laughs> generation scares me and I don't understand them. And I don't think I can think of any piece of media that has helped me understand them because I don't. I'm waiting for a but. There's no but. <laughs> just ended it there. They're very angry. They're very scary. I don't understand what they want or need or like or enjoy. I think they've been warped by growing up in the internet. So I can't think of any. I certainly haven't watched Euphoria. I did. I haven't watched Euphoria. And it was uh, what Connor just said. I was like, <laughs> these people are not going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I Here's mean, what I'm going to – I don't even know if this counts. And, and I, I, I can't say I love it. This is the closest that I got, though, is I found – girls the show to be a lot more interesting and rewarding as a millennial snapshot (laughs) than i was led to believe i hated the first season and i 
get it because the characters are vapid in many ways. And I don't think they ever change from that, but something about that to me seemed really brave and interesting. And so if you sort of think about a generation that doesn't really have the same kind of qualms that we did, I mean, like, here's the thing is this, our generation, the, you know, Gen X sort of tail end of that is very segmented. Blase. No, it's not even, but you were like, you were this kind of person or this kind of person or this kind of person. And one thing I like that has been ushered in and this is this I can see this in music too is that people are not constrained by the genre that they have chosen for himself. You don't have to be the metal kid or the punk rock kid or the athlete kid or whatever. You can be more than one of those things. And I I really see, appreciate I think that's I think even that's reductive. I was an athlete and an artist and a comic nerd and all those things. That's not the point. Yeah, it is the point. And it's no different than it's ever been. It's just that yeah. I know, but there was a segmentation certainly in a lot of pop culture. Ron can talk to this because of the, you know, like what kind of music you listen to often define what you look like yeah. and who you hung out with. Oh yeah, no. I mean, Connor, you. I mean, you might have lived in this wonderful utopia, panacea, whatever in Manhattan that had it, but there were definitely like fucking societal lines in high school that was like the suburbs sound tough. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was. So we knew. But it, you knew your lane, and you didn't. You didn't go steer in and out of it, and and so I, I kind of echo. I, I do echo that with you, Josh, on that, on that side. I will say, like, I'm trying to look at what movies summed up Gen Z or whatever to try to better, you know, and like. Eighth Grade, that Bo Burnham movie back from 2018. Do you remember that? Like Book Smart. Like these movies keep coming up and saying these are the ones that define Gen Z in the way that like singles defined us and Days of Confused defined us and whatever, mm. you know, whatever. And that's the only thing I can really do aside from like being like, oh, they all grew up on Spy Kids movies. That's why they're the, like this. You know, like it's is Book Smart Gen Z or was it Young Millennials? Yeah, I thought, or I thought it was. Book Smart was more Gen Z. Well, because they're every every list I'm seeing is as Gen Z. Yeah, but who was talking there was not a Gen Z person. Right, but it was the movie that right. shaped that right. generation, like like in the, in the way that we watched The Breakfast Club and it shaped us. And it was written by boomers. Yeah. Okay. Right. Fair. Yeah. 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 No. To me, the like dissolving lines of musical genre, I think, is the is the kind of the coolest. Yeah, thing. that's a big like, one. The, like you can be a lot of things in a band where you couldn't before. Things are a lot more defined previously, and now it's all mixed. I mean, look at look at Turnstile gonna, yeah. and look at that. All, all there the, are no bands anymore. Well, that's a downside, sorta. Yeah. Not popular culture. <laughs> Jake writes yeah. and says, "I am forty-eight years old. Still plenty. You're not. You're not oh, quite geez. barreling towards fifty, though. You're 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 firmly forties. Worked as a sterile processing technician at a hospital for nearly twenty years. When I first started out, my peers and I were around the same age, so our knowledge of pop culture was closely similar. But as the years have gone by, I've grown older." While the coworkers around me have become younger. Speaking of dazed and confused. <laughs> These days, when someone often says some phrase like, how the hell are you doing? And I reply, Wyatt, I am rolling. Or they say, now you know. And I answer back, and knowing is half the battle, all I get is a blank stare like I have Alzheimer's. By the way, quoting Tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrific. My question is, have you ever worked in a profession where nobody ever understands you because you're just too damn young or old? And is it even worth me trying to impart some geek culture on a group of 20-something-year-olds who think the song, believe it or not, was created for an episode of Seinfeld. Ron, you work with the young people. I've got it right now. Just this past weekend, I was working at work during San Diego Comic-Con, and me and my whole staff were in the office on the Friday at San Diego Comic-Con. And I can't remember what the context was, but I said, well, maybe it's some kind of thing I've never seen before. <laughs> <laughs> and and they just, like, like blinking like, eyes. And I was like, you guys ever see old school? And they're just like... <laughs> Just like the old, the older staff member was like in his thirty, just shook his head like Ron, and I was like, "What?" And like I go to start explaining it, and I'm like, "I'm gonna stop right now. I'm going back to my office. Goodbye." <laughs> Ironically, I, I had that conversation in my twenties with like an intern 
Josh, we were working together, and our, our coworker Brian, who was older than us, I think he was thirty-five, and it seemed so old at the time. I know. I think we were like twenty-seven, yeah. and he and I were talking, and his intern was there, and she was probably in college, so probably like twenty or something. We referenced Magna PI, and she looked at us like we had four heads. That was the last time I had that sort of generational gap pop culture thing. I don't think I've had it since. Most of the people I've worked with since have been around my age. It's I regularly worked with most of my direct reports at my last job were like 10 years younger than me. And it was just enough. And then I hired a kid who was like 15 years younger than me. And everything that I grew up with was retro for him. Retro cool? He was cool. We could talk. No, but was it retro cool or retro like lame? I don't know what you're talking about. It's sus what you're talking about. No cap. <laughs> Let me go back and share. Somebody tweeted the other day the, the uh, extra, or posted on whatever it's called now. They said, and I shared this with both of you guys. The person wrote, if you're a young person, ask a middle-aged man what music they listened to in the 90s. Let them talk for 30 minutes, act interested and say, oh, wow, no way. That's so cool. And after that, you can ask them for any favor. It's true. <laughs> no cap. It's true. <laughs> it's funny because I work now with, it's age doesn't have anything to do with it. I work with mostly normies and it's just like, I got nothing anyway. Oh, that's rough. Yeah. That's rough. Yeah. I don't think there's any point in trying to impart your geek culture onto your 20-year-old. Or to suggest to somebody who grew up in a completely different world that they have to watch this movie that isn't going to mean a damn thing to them. Just accept it. Mm -hmm. Accept (sighs) that you don't know what they're talking about and they don't know what you're talking about. That's fine. That's okay. I lean into it. Our last email comes under the category, Dad. Corin from Birmingham, England writes in and says, My girlfriend and I are expecting our first kid mid-August. Congratulations, Corin. I'm 49. And utterly terrified. What's the one bit of advice you wish people had told you about having kids? That was his first question. The second question is, what was the first time that you saw your kids engage with and enjoy some kind of media? Was it something you guided them toward? Or was it a random thing they saw on TV or heard on the radio? I've been thinking about these for eight months. So uh, first question, Josh, what what advice uh, do you wish someone had told you? What I know is that no one has any idea what they're talking about. You will get a lot of advice, and all of that is pretty specific to either their idea about what things are supposed to be like or their unique experience, which may not apply to you at all. So take all advice with a strong grain of salt, because then the second piece of advice is this. This is this is my actual is that I'm being serious. Don't have any expectations. Like, let it all come and don't think, oh, I think it should be this way and it, it isn't, so it's disappointing or whatever it is. Don't get caught like. up in it not being what you think it's going to be. Because it isn't going to be what you think it's going to be. And there will be days where, you know, like, oh my God, did I make a huge mistakes? And there will be other days where, you, like, your heart will want to burst out of its chest regularly. You will have both of those days. They are at odds. They are two things that, that exist at the same time and should not. So just be open. Also, you are 49 stretch motherfucker <laughs> yeah sure yeah because yeah, i couldn't sit on the floor with them at 35 yeah. so yeah, exactly oof. my bit of advice i wish someone had given me was actually advice i'd gotten several years into it i was a coworker of mine who was a former uh, comic book editor of some notoriety i was having a rough day and and he kind of pulled me aside and he's like hey man you know i don't generally like to voice parenting advice on other people because it's just a pain in the ass and everybody thinks they know everything and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you know, my, I got a kid in college, kid in high school. I, I, I've been there. So, you know, if you ever need anything, let me know. I, I'm happy to, you know, impart some wisdom. And I was like, I was just so taken aback. I was like, oh my God, thank you. That's so nice, actually. And I laid out the problem du jour while my kids were like two and a half, right? He patiently listened. He listened I laid everything out, laid everything out. And he goes, oh yeah, no, I know exactly what your problem is. And I was like, oh, okay, great. He's like, yeah, your kids need to grow up. (laughs) (laughs) Which at at first glance seemed incredibly dickish and incredibly annoying. But but then I stepped back and I realized, I was like, oh, this is temporary. Uh Uh-huh. 
in the moment, it feels like this is how it's going to be. That's Th- this really is good. Whether you know the kid is screaming, blah blah. This is temporary, and then this is further bolstered by not a piece of advice I ever got, but a anecdote I overheard of my sister, my brother-in-law, talking about my brother-in-law's mother. She could kick all of our asses. She's a rough Irish woman from the Bronx, and uh, she once told my sister, "Don't worry so much. They're not going to go to college in diapers." <laughs> Which also is fantastic advice, which is just like, you can worry about everything and they're going to be fine. It's all going to be fine. You know, so those are my two bits of uh, wisdom. Here's my other bit. My experience is that those kids are who they are from the moment they're born. Like that personality that you first notice days into it, that's their personality. You are not changing that. Yeah, that's how you work within it. Yeah. So your second question, the first time you saw your kids engage with and enjoy some kind of media, I'll take this one because- I purposely tried to keep superheroes and stuff like that away from them because I didn't, I thought it was just so cliche that like, Oh, I work at Marvel and I did, I did I fanboy, blah, blah. Of course they would. And sure enough, when they were like two and a half, three, they came home from the library and my son had a big encyclopedia of Marvel characters from A to Z and then went on for six months of wanting to know every detail about the inhumans. And now to the point now where he's four and just tonight I had to tell him a bedtime story about the destroyer, which I know a lot about Marvel comics. I cannot tell you a destroyer story for the life of me. So I had to make one up. It involved Thor asking Odin for help and Odin loaning him the destroyer. He discovered Marvel on his own and enjoys it. Could not care less that I work there. Doesn't understand what that means, but like <laughs> connected with it on his own. And I watched it grow and said, I just kind of voiced it, kind of, you know, kind of, you know, cultivated it as best I can, but I did not push it on him at all, which is fun. I tried to show my kids a lot of stuff for a while and they just couldn't have cared less. But yep. the only thing that I can think of that was fun is that, I don't know, with Henry, Henry's nine. So I don't know, a couple of years ago, maybe it was seven or so, I watched the Monty Python and the Holy Grail with him and he loved it and he would like, quote it for like a while afterwards and nice. still does and i was like oh that was something i loved when i was a kid so that was that it's was a good cool one because there's so many things they don't like that i'd like nothing i will tell you connor i, I was reading from him the star wars storybook that you got us oh, got great. them he kept on asking but who's the emperor who's the emperor and like they have not drawn the emperor in any of the star wars stuff for kids i was like looking through every star wars book we had there's no picture of the emperor in any of them <laughs> Huh? What's he getting up to? <laughs> I tried to watch Jedi with my kids, and when Oliver was like eight, he was terrified of the Emperor. Like yeah. he wouldn't watch the movie because. Well, of what's him. it was funny because just recently he's taken an interest in Star Wars because we had that book, we had some other Star Wars books, and all this stuff. And he was like, he loves to pretend. He's like, I he's, he pretends he is the Force. And he says, I'm using the Force, Dad. Go over there, and I have to run over to the other end of the room, and it makes him laugh. And so after reading the the Star Wars bedtime stories books that Connor got us, I was like, well, you know, you're you're you know you're almost five. I was like, do you want to? You know, we could watch the Star Wars movie. And he's like, I think that's for older kids. <laughs> and I was like, you are right, sir. And he's like, yeah, I think I'll be too scared of Darth Vader. And I was like, okay, well, when you're ready, let me know. And he's like, okay, and just walked away. That was cute. So. <laughs> so there you go. Yep. Fun times. It's funny how the emails have changed over the years. As we're barreling towards 50. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for all those who wrote in. If you didn't get your email on the show, we apologize, but we're keeping it in the folder for later use. But thanks for writing into contact at ifanboy.com. That was awesome. We'll probably do a year-end mailbag like we did last year, so keep that in mind. Please make sure you include your category when you write in. In the meantime... Don't make him do all the work. Yeah, give Connor a break. Come on, everybody. You can also listen to our weekly Pick of the Week show where Josh and I and sometimes Ryan Haupt and other guests talk about the week's comics. We have our monthly Booksplode and Talksplode shows, which alternate per month. Last month, Josh interviewed Howard Chaikin, and we talked about Lonely the Center of the Earth for this most recent Booksplode. So you can find all those at ifanboy.com. 
Bravo to Josh on that Chaykin. I don't want to call it an interview. I want to uh, bravo to Josh for recording Howard Chaykin talking for an hour. I asked questions. You asked like three. <laughs> That's the best way to go, my friend. It was very good. You got out of the way as a good interviewer does. Good job. Ron, tell me about your new show. Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, those of you who, might, who listen for a long time know that I did a show called All About Android. Unfortunately, that show came to an end as uh, our friends at Twit decided to focus their resources elsewhere. And I thought I was free of talking about phones. But turns out the audience spoke and they wanted more. So me and Quinn, my co-host, and Michelle, our other contributor, and Flo and everybody, we started a new show and it's called Android Faithful. You can go to androidfaithful.com, get all the links to subscribe for it. We're like in the first month of the show, so we're still working out the kinks. But so far, the reception has been great. Thank you to everybody in the iFanboy community who listen and have enjoyed it. Are you live streaming? We record the episodes live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern um, over on the Daily Tech News Show YouTube channel and the Good Day Internet Twitch channel. So we record the podcast live and then release the audio immediately after that. So uh, it's a fun time. If you're into Android phones and, and apps and software and development, give us a listen, androidfaithful.com. And we'll be back next month with another episode of Media Splode. And until then, I am Connor. I'm Ron. That makes me Josh Schenheimer. <laughs> Josh Schenheimer. That's when you see Josh and Oppenheimer in the same day. They call that a Josh and Yeah, it was a Josh and Yeah, yeah only one person's done it. Come together.